We welcome you into another episode of OESA's Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein, host of SiriusXM's Cars and Culture on Business Channel 132. Suppliers are continually navigating a landscape that revolves around regulatory changes. Those changes often have suppliers thinking differently about how to handle their business and position for the future. The onset of electric vehicles, combined with changing regulations in states such as California and elsewhere, are altering the landscape of supplier success in the near term and making them think of the long term. So how to handle a complex web of changes? Ann Wilson, Senior Vice President at MEMA, has an overview and a perspective on all those adjustments needed. OESA's Automotive Insiders hit the road for a number of recordings, broadcasting from the Automotive Supplier Conference in Novi, Michigan recently. In this episode, we caught up with Ann to talk about regulatory changes. A regular co-host of mine, Bill Newman of SAP, joins me for the discussion. It's Automotive Insiders on the road at the OESA Supplier Conference with Ann Wilson. Great to be back here at the 2022 OESA Annual Conference and our guest, Ann Wilson, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for MEMA. Ann, what a pleasure. Well, Jason, it's great to be here. Um, it's great to see so many people in person, so it's nice to see the whole industry all together. Indeed, and it's great to be here with my co-host again, Bill Newman of SAP. Bill, what a pleasure. Good to be back, and I just want to echo Ann's sentiments, how wonderful it is to see so many people here. And your industry short was titled, The Future's Intersection with Public Policy. Let's start off with some things that are on your to-do list and, and the amount of attention that you want to, um, I guess, uh, or the spotlight that you'd like to put on suppliers as it, as it relates to public policy. Well, I think it's important for us to step back for a minute and think about where suppliers are. Uh, overall, with the aftermarket and commercial vehicle, we are the largest employer of manufacturing jobs in the United States. But the industry is in transition, as we all know. And that transition is going to change the nature of jobs, change the nature of manufacturing. But really we are looking at the whole push towards zero emission vehicles and carbon, uh, lowering carbon emissions. We are looking at the impact that perhaps automated safety devices could have on component development and manufacturing in the United States. And then we have the whole issue of our supply chains and what's going on with global trade overall and how this administration and previous administrations were pulling strings that impact the supply chains of these manufacturers as we try to build our manufacturing in the U.S. And it's likely that we haven't seen this level of disruption in the industry, um, at least at the levels that we're at now. We've not really seen that before in, in, in the sense that suppliers are, are, are facing so many other issues simultaneously. They're, they're seeing labor labor issues we've talked about, insourcing bill, you and I, and all the issues related to labor and trying to get manufacturing back in the United States. But you're also focused on the Inflation Reduction Act and how it relates to suppliers. Tell me a little bit about that and your initiatives there. Well, it's, it's keeping in mind that the Biden administration and California, as we know, are going to set very, very aggressive new fuel efficiency, um, lower emission standards for light trucks and light cars and trucks. and. What the Congress did this summer was they provided over $30 billion worth of funding that suppliers can take advantage of, whether it's for conversion, whether it's for retooling, or whether it's in tax credits for production or for actually the components that they're manufacturing. And I think what's important to think about is these funds are not just available to vehicle manufacturers. 
Um, these funds are not just available to the tier ones, they are available to the entire supply chain. So, you know, a tier two or tier three who is sitting there, and I've heard some questions today from some of those folks saying, where's my future? What am I gonna do? Where am I gonna find the financing? They need to pay very close attention to this. Also, if you look at the flip side of it, tier ones and OEMs need to pay close attention to this and look at where their supply chain is. Now, how are you gonna buoy this up? You mentioned reshoring. You need to have a certain amount of manufacturing in the US. Maybe you don't want it to come by ship anymore because we have all these shipping crisis. Maybe you want to be able to be able to touch and feel it a little bit closer. So who do you need to have in your family, so to speak, in your supply chain? And what are they going to need to have financially to be successful? And we worked hard to make sure suppliers are eligible for this money. And we're going to work hard to make sure that the whole supply chain understands how they can access these funds. Bill? Yeah, I think it's interesting also to keep in mind that, you know, we've, I think, and Ann spends a lot of time in D.C., so, I mean, I think it's safe to say from a bipartisan perspective, uh, we've made some good bets on infrastructure. Um, I'm going to spend some time next week with executives from the construction and heavy equipment industry. There are some secondary impacts to that investment, and many of those nameplates use the same suppliers that we do here. Um, in terms of uh, light passenger vehicles and other segments. We really don't know yet what those secondary and tertiary impacts are going to be. Uh, I think they're going to be very favorable, but to Ann's point, we need to make sure that everybody's educated in terms of how to take advantage of probably this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to really retool and reskill ourselves to go forward um, in hopefully the next big manufacturing boom here, at least in the United States. And do you get the sense that Washington, and the time that you spend in Washington, that, that there is enough sensitivity to the issues of suppliers? Or is the, uh, does the education process just continue? I think the education process continues. I think we're in a much stronger position than we've been in in the last 20 years. Um, I think even the vehicle manufacturers are saying, you've got to pay attention to my supply base, because I think if the chip crisis didn't teach us anything, it how does this how vulnerable we all are if we don't have a strong supply base? But I do think that uh, one of the things that's missing from the conversation is we have suppliers who have been in a community throughout the U.S., not just in Southeast Michigan or Ohio or Indiana, for 100 years, 50 years. You know, they might have been a metal stamper or an extruder of some kind, and they've changed with the times. And they may be the largest employer in that county. And that's something to celebrate, but it's also, if you're an elected representative, you need to be concerned. Because if those that supplier does not make it through this transition, what are going to happen to those jobs? What's going to happen to the economic footprint? And I don't think that any of our suppliers should be shy about inviting their local representatives into their facilities and talking about the kinds of stress they're under. Talk about the workforce issues. I mean, we were talking about it before, and I think almost everybody today I don't know a supplier who says they have sufficient workforce to meet current demands, much less the future demands of you know, zero emission vehicles or automation or anything like that. Talk about those kinds of issues. Talk about um, you know, what your plans are for the future. You know, make sure that you're doing your part to educate folks too. The shiny object in Washington and, and in certain states, obviously you mentioned California, is of course electrification. 
What are you hearing from the supply base related to electrification, especially those who are more focused on internal combustion engines? Well, the position of MEMA has long been that there are a variety of different technologies that can provide um, internal combustion engines or other means of propulsion with better fuel economy, and that we've always tried to get EPA to consider that range of propulsion methods. So we were very pleased when the president zeroed in on um, plug-in hybrids as well as the opportunities for either hydrogen internal combustion engine or hydrogen fuel cells. But there are other technologies that are out there that honestly our suppliers have not gotten their full return on investment that have not been embraced. I think it's going to be very difficult to see that happening in the near future. Uh, California has set a very, very aggressive agenda. I think the United States is going to follow suit. And with the new Congress, if it's a Republican Congress, and see what happens in two years in the presidential election, it, that may shift a little bit, but the trend is not going to completely turn around. And so we're going to have to continue to advocate on the regulatory process of these other means. Hydrogen's a really good example. People keep wanting to talk about battery electric vehicles. We have a lot of members who are heavily invested in hydrogen. They've seen the benefits of it in Europe. They want to be able to provide that to the customers and to the consumer in the United States. And we need to continue to remind Congress, remind administrations that that benefit is out there. I think one of the things to think about also as we look at electrification, we've talked about 2030, 2035 goals, both in the US, Europe, California, um, provisioning that energy is is kind of a new space right now. We just had a big announcement uh, last month around GM Energy. Um, Nikola Motor, who does uh, hydrogen as well as electric uh, powered Class 8, uh, recently acquired Romeo to begin to internalize how they would imagine uh, uh, energy provisioning for their fleet. Uh, I think that that's going to be the next area that probably we need to look at. Uh, right now, the, the the light passenger nameplates, at least, are looking at selling. You know, your your in-home or at-business charge stations, wall mounts, uh, much like trim kits. Um, so, you know, there'll be products that need to be built. There'll be standards that need to be followed. There's going to need to be work with our colleagues over in the uh, uh, electric and, and energy space. Um, and and I think there's a lot of rhetoric around whether EVs are the answer or a compounding problem to that. And I think everybody has a lot of valid points depending who you are and where you are in the ecosystem and, and within whatever geography you happen to be operating in. So I would look to, to that as well as we go into the next year as an area to uh, consider. Yeah, I think, um, I think people at DOE are very aware of that. Uh, I don't think they've been trying to broadcast it too much, but I think they're very aware of it. But you've also seen the whole issue on what do we do with these batteries? So you've seen this whole issue, and it is in the Inflation Reduction Act, and it has been front and center. What do we do about battery recycling, remanufacturing? What are we going to do with all these batteries if indeed we get to a time where it's 50% battery electric vehicles or something like that? So there's components of this that are not quite ripe for full development yet. But I, what I worry about is that if a supplier waits for five years to sort of see how the future looks, the space may be very limited. And they need to really think hard about where they're going um, and what they're talking about. I also think the other thing that's really interesting is we had an interesting session right before lunch today 
on what's going on on ESG and you know what you know exactly for ESG plans they are that kind of requirements are going to hit these same suppliers so as your customers are requiring you to give more carbon information perhaps even more social information about your workforce and things like that the same time that you're being required to look to transform on energy of the components and energy on the final vehicle you're going to be talking about your manufacturing process and your social and governance goals too in fact, we've had guests on this program talk about the importance of ESG as, as a true buzzword to uh, really um, uh, portray what's going to change uh, going forward. And, and in fact, uh, the auto industry, to your point, and directly linked to 12% of annual carbon emissions each year. So ESG is totally in the spotlight. A lot of issues in the spotlight. And thank you so much for offering thank your you. own perspective on where we are. It'll be a fascinating year ahead. And uh, very much appreciate you being on the program. Yeah, look forward to it. Thank, Thank you, you, Bill. Thank you, Jason. Good to be with you. That's this episode of Automotive Insiders. Remember to follow the program wherever your favorite podcast appears. Thanks again to my guest, Ann Wilson, Senior Vice President at MEMA, and my co-host, Bill Newman of SAP. And thanks for listening to OESA's Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein. We'll talk to you again next time. <laughs>